0: you I beware wegree A me Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon the breathing Breathe your loose Can Well good morning, beloved I want to welcome you this morning to Bible Study Time here with Rick and Ministries. I'm Gene Thomas. I'm delighted to sit with you and read God's Word and have a few reflections on it with you this morning. I want to begin by telling you what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to read the Scripture to you from the Living Bible. I'm going to read the fifth chapter of the of 1st Timothy so if you want to turn there that's what we'll be talking about today 1st chapter 5 after I've read it from the Living Bible I'm going to move on into talking about some of the things that caught my interest when I read that chapter pertinent to some of the words in that chapter and then draw a few conclusions, and that'll be it. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And if you can walk along with us, we'd, we'd love to have you. So let me begin with the reading of the text, First Timothy, chapter 5, Living Bible. Never speak sharply to an older man. Plead with him respectfully, just as though he were your own father. Talk to the young men as you would to much-loved brothers. Treat the older women as mothers and the girls as your sisters thinking only pure thoughts about them. The church should take loving care of women whose husbands have died if they don't have anyone else to help them. But if they have children, grandchildren, these are the ones who should take the responsibility. Well, kindness should be given home, supporting needy parents. Well, this is something that pleases God very much. The church should care for widows who are poor and alone in the world if they are looking to God for his help and spending much time in prayer, but not if they're spending their time running around gossiping, seeking only pleasure and thus ruining their souls. This be your church rule so that Christians will know and do what is right life. but anyone who won't care for his own relatives when they need help especially those living in his own family has no right to say he's a Christian Such a person is worse than the heathen. A widow who wants to become one of the special church workers should be at least 60 years old and have been married only once. She must be well thought of by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers as well as to other Christians? Has she helped those who are sick and hurt? Is she always ready to show kindness? The younger widows should not become members of this special group because after a while they are likely to disregard their vow to Christ and marry again. And so they will stand condemned because they broke their first promise. Besides, they are likely to be lazy and spend their time gossiping around from house to house, getting into other people's business. So I think it's better for these younger widows to marry again and have children, take care of their own homes, then no one will be able to say anything against them. For I'm afraid that some of them have already turned away from the church and been led astray by Satan. Let me remind you again that a widow's relatives must take care of her, not leave this to the church to do, then the church can spend its money for the care of widows who are all alone and have nowhere else to turn. Pastors who do their work well should be paid and should be highly appreciated, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, Never tie up the mouth of an ox. When it is treading out the grain, let it eat as he goes along. In another place, those who work deserve their pay. Don't listen to complaints against the pastor unless there are two or three witnesses to accuse them. If they have really sinned, if they should be rebuked in front of the whole church so that no one else will follow that example. I solemnly commend you in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ and of the holy angels to do this, whether the pastor is a special friend of yours or not. All will be treated exactly the same. Never be in a hurry about choosing a pastor. You may overlook his sins, and it will look as if you approve of them. Be sure that you yourself stay away from all sins. By the way, this doesn't mean you should completely give up drinking wine. You ought to take a little sometimes as medicine for your stomach because you're sick so often. Remember that some, even pastors, lead sinful lives, and everyone knows it. In such situations, you can do something about it. But in other cases, only the Judgment Day will reveal the terrible truth. In the same way, everyone knows how much good some pastors do. But sometimes their good deeds aren't known until long afterward. There is reading. Of the fifth chapter of First Timothy. My goodness, it's stern, isn't it? Just that's an understatement to say it's stern. My goodness, I wouldn't want to be a widow it's around that church. I don't think. <laughs> By the time they got through tearing at a at a widow, I don't know what in the world we'd do. Or a pastor, for that matter. A pastor that goes to that church is going to have a rough time. Because it's it's tough. They do things different from the way we do them now. See things differently in many ways than we do now. And it's a good idea to always remember the years that separate us. The forms of discipline that separate us. As we go back into the early church, looking and trying to find something to guide us today, you have to be real careful with the interpretation of that material. First Timothy is, is, is like that. It's precious because you get to see the church and its people and its activities and actions when the church was an infant when it hadn't gotten itself together, when it really was just struggling to survive in a world that was angry with. it, I want to say, in, in thinking about this fifth chapter, remember that Timothy traveled with Paul. Remember that. You remember Paul went to a lot of interesting places, and he had this young man with him. Acts 16, verse 1 to 3, Acts 19, verse 22, Philippians second chapter 19, or Corinthians 4, all these places mention the relationship in terms of the fact that Timothy was also a missionary along with Paul. Now, I'm saying that to you this morning because I want you to understand that Timothy and Paul both, were missionary preachers. You could have preacher slash missionary or missionary slash preacher, but they were just not ordinary stay at home, take care of the flock, give pastoral care to the hometown crowd. These were two individuals who had seen the world, Have traveled intensely. Most people in in this day didn't go five miles from their home their whole lifetime. And here you have these two who have traveled the length of the Mediterranean, as far as we know, spreading the word of God. Timothy was a missionary. Now, do you know any great missionary preachers in your life? Just consider them today. Are you are you a missionary? One of the great powers of this ministry is its connection between its preaching and its missionary emphasis. And the great missionaries here are often lay people. I mean, these just ordinary folk who take pilgrimages to places. But they are profoundly affected. Their lives are are, are changed because now they, they have the connection. You have the the right connection, boom, the electricity goes through you of the fact that you become a traveling missionary yourself. All your whole life is different. And that it, it doesn't have to be on the other side of the earth. I've always been fascinated with the Mormon church and the way, it, I know many people don't think they apostate or something and go crazy when they hear the word, but the fact of the matter is, they're a peculiar American church, and we don't really consider them too much. But they are a missionary crowd. You study them; you you see them on the street a lot of times. You always see two young men on two bicycles with a white short-sleeved shirt on, usually, and and uh, riding down the road with a necktie on and a name tag. And they go from place to place and share the. Words and love of Jesus. And they have to do it for a whole year, by the way, to, to become an elder in the church, like all the other men. They have to go away, and each each major city has a place for them. But they got boots on the ground, y'all. I mean, I, I have to respect that. I have to respect it because that's what my uh, progenitor wanted to do. John Wesley said, you go from house to house. And You visit, 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 he said. That's, saying see, and the Mormons beat us to death with it. I, I had two young men to uh, meet me on the side of the road one day, uh, Mormon missionaries, and they began to talk to me. And I said, well, I don't have time for you right now. I said, but I'm interested in you. If you could come to my, my office tomorrow morning, I'll talk with you about it. Well, of course... I was a pastor of a large church in the town. They didn't know it, and but the next morning they came and I saw them in the parking lot, and they, you know, pulled up their carriage, took their helmets off, bike helmets off, and went meekly to the door and knocked on the door, and the secretary let them in, and she said, Reverend, there's two, two Mormon missionaries out here. since they, they need to see you. I said, Send them on in. So they came into my office and we talked. And I, God forbid, I just gave them a listening ear for a while. And they were tired, and I said, would you like some water or something? How about some, I got some good good leftover Christmas cake back here. Would you like a piece? And are you, aren't you tired? And maybe I was aiding on the betting something that you probably don't agree with. <laughs> but they did. I didn't become a Mormon. When they saw who I was, they didn't try to make me one. But the next day, I went back in the same vicinity, a different service station, but I stopped there. And these two Mormon missionaries came up. And I heard them tell the proprietor of the station, you see that man over there? He pointed to me. He said, He's a good man. He's a good man. I thought to myself, My goodness, can you be a good man based on giving somebody some Christmas cake and a cup of water and listening to what's on their heart? I think you can. I think that's the kind of person that Timothy was and Paul. But too well, what you learn from the Mormons is the emphasis of the missionary. And that's important because they're, they're a little different dog from from just just a preacher. One thing that comes out of this text is the emphasis on the family. You hear the you hear the uh, interesting interplay between mothers and daughters and daughters and sisters, young men as brothers, and and, and never treat an old man badly. You know that that's a family, part of a church It's It's it has had Christian parental influence. You know in the second Timothy, we're going to hear a verse where Paul tells Timothy, reminds him reminds him of the, the love that was in his grandmother Eunice that was passed to his mother Lois who passed it to him. See that family emphasis there? It's very important. The church in this day had a lot to do with Christian parental influence over the children. It was not like a club. We have turned church, church into sort of, a, sort of a social gospel club where we get together and bake cookies. Now, admit, nothing wrong with cookies. I, I love them very much. But the church is more than that. And this is the thing about not putting down an older person, him or her, don't put them down. Don't don't speak harshly to them. He wanted that to be remembered. He wanted it to be something that he, he could get beyond. In other words, uh, he had it in his mind that it would be easy to be too stern with somebody in a church like this. And it would be. In, in a family church. So he insists on respect. Respect is, is, is a hard thing to give to some older person. But he it sneaks out a little bit later when he, he talks about how you ought to equip your parents or pay your parents back. Sort of like he that goes through that. That's often foreign to us in our world. The, the idea of us owing our parents something so much so that we take care of them and and, and and see that they have food and and lodging. The sense that we owe them something is foreign to us because we think they owed us everything. And today we never leave home till we're about thirty five years old, or maybe a little worse or less. But the truth is we just blame them for everything, you know. Just we, we accuse them of, of everything we can think of to to uh, assert that, that we got some kind of disproportionate treatment. No, look at that verse four. It needs to be looked at carefully. That another thing they prioritize their time and their energy in this text too. They really do. They make it sure that they have it down straight as to what is taking their time and what is a priority for them. The other concept I want to think a little bit about, I've done a couple three here, but I want to talk about the widow. We have it in our mind that first and second century widows were treated poorly, not like women. You know, we always say they're treated so badly, you know, second class citizens and Widows were beat up and didn't have any food and so on. This kind of shows you that they are struggling with that. Because there's a long passage about widows. But they're not as dependent as we first thought. But a special emphasis is laid on them for church work. I thought about that. The widows and widow, this is not just widows, this is or widowers as well, where you have suddenly a person is alone. They've been on their own with somebody else all their life. The two have, have indeed become one as they were when they were married. And then one partner loses the other. It's a devastating thing. Devastating. So the early church was right in knowing that and in working on that. They carefully Categorize these widows, and maybe they're a little too busybody about it. And I think that's a fair, very fair accusation. Some of the things they say is just so, so incredibly pointed about it. But, but having to know the loss of a loved one and how completely and utterly debilitating that can be. You know, a person in your congregation can lose a loved one, and overnight they're an entirely different person. The crushing that goes through that loss just makes them an indifferent human being. There are some descriptions in here about, you know, how they, a widow ought to be 60 years old and a uh, wife of one man. That the stuff won't fly, of course. No, that will. That's changed over the years. Emphasis on a good wife, a descriptive analysis of that in verse 9. That's also somewhat similar to that. But just just remember this idea of the widow and the church work are being discussed here, are being lifted up, talked about, thought about, and dealt with in this, the fifth chapter of First Timothy. Finally, I want to mention one thing as I close. The ministry of this early church was conceived of at work. It was not just a spiritual fling. It was hard, down to earth, boots on the ground, taking care of people, work, not necessarily fun, not uh, necessarily something you jump up and down about, but hard work. One of the reasons it was hard work is because the pastors were charged with admonishing the people. If these widows got out of line, if these people he saw were not being good to their parents, if he saw this, if or she, their obligation was to, to expose it, to talk about it. Preaching in this church probably had a lot of admonitions in it. That is to admonish, to talk down to people. I it's say, We've got to lift them up. Yeah, maybe today, maybe you you go ahead like that, but not back here. Mm-mm. They were like watchdogs over the families of an intimate community who had sold out to Jesus Christ. They were not preaching to make the congregation feel good. That's so hard for, for people to understand there. They didn't care that much about that. They were preaching for conviction, which is almost a foreign concept. I mean, when is the last time you went in church and the preacher got on your case about something? The proclivity of the mind to be partial to various things is lifted up here in the 21st verse of uh, of favoritism is awful. I mean, if you had one of these preachers to stand up in front of us today and he saw that maybe half of us were Republicans and the other half were Democrats, he'd want to know what's what's wrong with us and admonish us for lifting up those things above what they considered more important. Well, I've been running roughshod over this, but that's the way I think this thing lays itself out finally i love this text about you ought to drink a little wine uh, people use that for an excuse you know uh, to have a party uh, sometimes a board meeting will be like a bunch of drunks <laughs> we don't want to go that far but i've never seen the magnitude where, where that would happen some but the, but in many of these places water would kill you water was a, a, a deadly thing. You had to be careful with it. You had to know where it came from, know where you kept it, know what you did with it, make sure nothing fell in it, and, you, and then you could have it. But wine was clean. Sort of an antiseptic. So for medicinal reasons, wine was better than water. You could sometimes cut it with water, but if you did, that would make it not, not, as, not as helpful. Sin goes ahead of you and follows you. Good works go ahead of you and follow you. Thank God I took care of those Mormon missionaries that day. <laughs> that good work followed me at least one day. <laughs> what your good work will do or even if you consider that good. But sin runs ahead of you. The old rabbis say when you utter something bad it comes out of your mouth, it goes and runs around the world and never comes back to you again and you give it life. Oh my. I think of the things I've said and birthed into the world by saying them that are never coming back Some of the actions of sin. Never coming back. Well, that basically concludes what I want to say to you. got just a minute or two. Uh, if you want a good, clear study of Timothy, and you have access to the Internet, a fellow who's real good with it is, is Chuck Swindoll. He's a pastor emeritus down there at the First Baptist Church in Atlanta. But he's written more books, I think, than... I could read in a lifetime but he has a handle on this i confess i read some of his stuff before i gave this talk i didn't quote him because it didn't take anything directly from him but he just like most preachers has an angle on certain things that is really good to listen you can listen to him on the internet on the youtube or and he will talk to you about this particular chapter, this particular text, and guide you through Timothy in a very sweet way. He's only he's 80 years old now, more, more than 80 years old. But he um, he's really something to hear, and you ought to do it sometime. Uh, he he was a stutterer, and that appealed to me because I was too, when I was a young man, I was a stutterer. He had a drama teacher that enabled him to, or somehow overcome his stuttering. I had a fifth grade school teacher who thought she could just you know to me and cure me by making fun of me and something cured me. It might have been her, I don't know, but that was tough treatment. I'm sure Judge Lindol was was, was was tough to, to to but here we go. This week is gone and I have had such joy talking with you. I really have. I'm really thankful for you. And I've asked God to bless you and fill you with His Holy Ghost until we meet again. Amen. Goodbye. I'm